And I'm Scott. And we are Fired Up, Ready to Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone! And welcome back to the podcast! Woohoo! Well, we have big things happening in our country and on the podcast. Our original goal of the podcast was to keep you all informed in this whirlwind of Trump times. And now we've expanded to two additional goals. One, to start introducing you to the candidates for 2020 which we are very excited to focus on because it will be fun to cover something hopeful and positive and because we all have to do our part to get this lunatic out of the White House. Amen. Number two, we realize for ourselves and in our circle, we do not know enough about local and state-level politics. And this year in Virginia, we have an election to hopefully win a majority in our state legislature. So we want to learn more ourselves and help you all learn more. So let's go. Let's go. And now, domestic Trump troubles. Let's all hail Nancy Pelosi. Hail, hail. Yes, it's a new year and a new horizon. We have a Democratic Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy. And she is kicking some Trump ass. She is fierce. According to the Washington Post, Pelosi's stock soars on victory in deadlock. Democrats hail Speaker of House after Trump's retreat in shutdown fight. Nancy Pelosi's first showdown with President Trump began with him publicly questioning her political viability. It ended with the House Speaker winning an unmitigated victory and reviving her reputation as a legislative savant. Trump's capitulation, agreeing to reopen the federal government after a 35-day standoff without funding for a U.S.-Mexico border wall, generated rave reviews for Pelosi from fellow Democrats and grudging respect from Republicans who watched as she kept an unruly party caucus united in the face of GOP divide-and-conquer tactics. Pelosi emerges from the shutdown as a stronger leader of her party and more popular with the public by early measures as Democrats eye aggressive efforts to counter Trump's agenda through ambitious legislation and tough oversight. I think he's finally met his match, said Assistant Speaker Ben Lay Lujan. The Speaker always presents herself in public and private with the utmost respect. But she's firm and she's strong, and she understands how to wield that power. Throughout the standoff, Pelosi followed her own advice. Don't get in the gutter with Trump. Or, as she put it colorfully last month, don't engage in a, quote, tinkle contest with a skunk, (laughs) unquote. The episode was also influenced by her respect for the presidency, if not for the president himself, Aides said. In a central episode in the shutdown ordeal, 
Pelosively, Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try that again. Pelosi effectively blocked Trump from delivering the State of the Union address that they had mutually scheduled for January 29th. But Pelosi's initial message to Trump did not cancel the invitation outright. Instead, she suggested, quote, that we work together to determine another suitable date after government has reopened for this address or for you to consider delivering your State of the Union address in writing. Pelosi and Trump had no direct interactions after Trump walked out of a January 9th meeting in the White House Situation Room. Pelosi had insisted that any short-term funding extension would not compel Democrats to agree to wall funding. Pelosi stuck to that position throughout the fight. Quote, Have I not been clear on the wall, she said Friday when asked if her position had changed after the agreement to reopen the government was reached? Quote, No, I have been very clear on the wall. I have been very clear. Unquote. On Friday, after Trump agreed to sign the bill reopening the government, Democrats showered Pelosi with praise. In one tweet that underscored Pelosi's ability to unify her diverse caucus, from moderates in Trump's district to the party's far left, quote, I will tell you something most of the country probably already knows. Speaker Pelosi does not mess around, unquote wrote freshman Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a dominant voice in the party's liberal wing. Said Pelosi on Friday, quote, Our unity is our power, and that is what maybe the president underestimated. So Yahoo, Nancy Pelosi. She's brilliant, masterful. And it is just delicious to see a woman taking her power and putting Trump in his place. Indeed it is. His big put down to her was, as I call Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> Nancy. Nancy. Wow. As of today, the U.S. has a mostly functioning government again after being closed for 35 days so that our president could take the time he needed to accept the exact same offer that was made to him before the shutdown began. Mm. Of course, he was a different man before the shutdown. One that had no idea the president of the U.S. is not the only one who wields any power. He was shocked to find that the legislative branch has balls when led by a woman, at least by Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> the Donald took a hard line in an attempt to appease Ann Coulter and Sean Hannity, who were accusing him of not fulfilling his promise to build a wall along the southern border with Mexico. And so he refused to sign any legislation that wouldn't include funding for his trophy project, that Mexico was supposed to pay for. Only when airports started shutting down and his billionaire buddies, or his billionaire suck-ups, because I'm not convinced he has a buddy in the world, not even Putin, only when they faced the prospect of not being able to fly their private jets to the Super Bowl did the Donald realize that he had more to fear than the wrath of right-wing media. So he declared victory by reopening the government temporarily for a period of weeks, after which, if he hasn't been given a bill to sign that gives him what he wants, he's threatened to shut it all down again or declare a national emergency to get his wall built. So, how will this play out? Well, many have pointed out the infallibility of a, quote, conditional, unquote, national emergency. That is, one that exists only if the president doesn't get his way. 
Such an event would likely and quickly be contested and bogged down in court. Not a favorable prospect, not even for Trump. As for another shutdown, well, there's not going to be another event comparable to the Super Bowl that, if threatened, could save us. Certainly the prospect of additional pay cycles without payments for 800,000 federal workers doesn't matter a whit to him, nor does the image of our national parks being overflowing with refuse and human waste. He doesn't care about the administration of food stamp programs, the functioning of law enforcement, or even border security, which is supposed to be the point. Of course, there is the State of the Union address, which Nancy certainly won't be scheduling before February 15th. She did. It's scheduled next Tuesday. Holy shit. Okay, well, so much for the end of my segment. (laughs) And now, what the hell is happening in the Russia investigation anyway? NPR reports, Roger Stone indictment raises more big questions about Russia, Trump, 2016 campaign. The Justice Department added another piece to the puzzle of its Russia investigation on Friday with charges against GOP political consultant Roger Stone. But the full picture still isn't complete. Stone was arrested in Florida following an indictment by a grand jury working with the Office of Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Stone denied breaking the law and said he'll plead not guilty when he's arraigned later in Washington, D.C. Prosecutors say Stone and at least two of his associates served as intermediaries between Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and Organization One, known as WikiLeaks, is referred to in the count document, which fenced material stolen by the Russian government as part of the Kremlin scheme to wreak havoc in the 2016 White House race. After WikiLeaks released emails stolen from the Democratic National Committee in July of 2016, quote, a senior Trump campaign official was directed to contact Stone, unquote, to ask what else WikiLeaks had planned. The charges Stone is facing are about the accounts he has given to Congress about these events. Hmm. Liar, liar, pants on fire. So, of course, the um, uh, Trumpsters are running around saying, well, this doesn't say anything about, you know, uh, conspiracy and collusion. Collusion It doesn't say anything. But the question that I heard is, well, if this is a big nothing, why is everybody willing to lie in front of Congress about it? What are all the lies about? And face jail time. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what they're all looking at by their lying to Congress. It's a serious situation. It's not a nothing to lie before Congress. And why are they doing that if there's nothing wrong with anything that was done? You know what? Ultimately, wasn't it just lying that took down Nixon? Well, the, the cover-up was, the, was, was worse than the crime. There yes. we go. There we go. So mm. what does it really matter? Take except, them down. Except, of course, it does. And now, introducing the candidates who will enter the ring to go whoop Trump's ass in 2020. Woo! Woo! Among the first candidates to announce a run for president in 2020 is financial control board champion Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. 
An outspoken defender of the economically vulnerable, Senator Warren has very recently distinguished herself by calling for a special tax on the super wealthy. The Huffington Post reports that, quote, according to two economists advising her presidential campaign on the plan, the tax would hit an estimated 75,000 of the wealthiest American households by imposing a new 2% fee annually on American households' net worth greater than 50 million and up to 3% for households with a net worth above $1 billion. The Huffington Post quotes economists Emmanuel Saez and Gabriel Zuckman of the University of California, Berkeley, who project that the tax proposal would generate about $2.75 trillion wow. over 10 years. <clears throat> Senator Warren attributes her success in life to the help afforded to her by government programs. Such programs enabled her to go to college to become a teacher and later grad school, where she evolved from grad student to professor at Harvard, no less. Not bad for a girl from Oklahoma whose campaign page describes her as having grown up on the, quote, ragged edge of the middle class, unquote. She's made it her life's mission to ensure the opportunities available to her are likewise available to all Americans, and she seeks to fight that battle from the Oval Office. The Kamala Harris campaign kicked off in Oakland on Sunday with crowds larger than Obama's. Wow. Senator Kamala Harris is an American attorney and politician serving as the junior United States senator from California since 2017. She has previously served as the 32nd Attorney General of California from 2011 to 2017 and as District Attorney of San Francisco from 2004 to 2011. The Huffington Post reports, According to some estimates, over 20,000 people attended the rally, which eclipses the crowd former President Obama's first campaign rally, which attracted an estimated 15,000 people. Hmm. Kamala Harris's logo is For the People. Uh, she has introduced or co-sponsored legislation as a senator to provide sweeping tax cuts for the middle class, address the high cost of rent, raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, reform the cash bail system, protect the legal rights of refugees and immigrants, make higher education tuition free for the vast majority of Americans, and expand access to affordable, affordable quality health care with Medicare for all. She has pledged to take no money from corporate PACs. Her mother was Indian of Indian heritage and her father was from Jamaica. I'd now like to play part of her speech from that rally on Sunday. Please enjoy. When white supremacists march and murder in Charlottesville or massacre innocent worshipers in a Pittsburgh synagogue, that's not our America. When we have children in cages crying for their mothers and fathers, don't you dare call that border security. That's a human rights abuse. and vilify public school teachers, that is not our America. 
who crashed our economy get bonuses, but the workers who brought our country back can't even get a raise? That's not our America. And when American families are barely living paycheck to paycheck, what is this administration's response? Their response is to try and take health care away from millions of families. Their response is to give away a trillion dollars to the biggest corporations in this country. And their response is to blame immigrants as the source of all our problems. what's happening here. People in power are trying to convince us that the villain in our American story is each other. But that is not our story. That is not who we are. That is not our America. So uh, our initial thinking is we'll give you an introduction to the candidates and then we hope to be following up with what they're saying, what their policies actually are, um, and so that we can all be making really great informed decisions. By no means do we mean to influence who you should vote for. No, but we just want to present the, op the options and what, um, what people stand for. And with all the ones that are coming out of the woodwork, we expect that this will be a regular feature throughout the spring. That's right. So now we're going to talk a little bit about local politics, state politics. In our district, which is number 86, we have an election on February 19th. We hope to replace Jennifer Boisco with Ibrahim Samira. Samira. Yes, good. Last year in the Virginia legislature, 70 gun-related bills were introduced in 2018. How many were approved? One. One. Right now, Republicans have the majority in the House of Delegates and the Senate. VirginiaGeneralAssembly.gov has a link for Who's My Legislator and also has information about contacting your representatives. Now, there's no shame in not knowing. Even Scott and I, who are here hosting a podcast, had a recent screw-up. We knew our state delegate was Jennifer Boisco, and so we showed up to vote for her for our state senate. Well, our state senator is Janet Howell, not Jennifer Wexton, who the race was to replace. Lesson learned. So let's get to know who our state delegates and senators are and know that in Virginia, we have an election every year and we need to vote because last year, in January of 2018, Republicans maintained control of the state house. Originally, the Democrat, Shelley Simmons, in a recount, was shown to have won by one vote. A ballot was then contested, and it was determined the ballot should count for the Republican, David Yancey, resulting in a tie. How was the tie resolved, which resulted in the Republicans maintaining the majority in the House? By pulling a name out of a hat. 
That is how our power has been determined in the state of Virginia. And why is that so important? Well, folks, I'm going to read to you from the Washington Post. GOP legislators in Virginia reject Trump-backed red flag gun bill. Hmm. Republicans in Virginia's legislature are on track to kill almost all gun control legislation touted by Governor Ralph Northam as a priority, including a red flag bill aimed at preventing suicide that has been endorsed by the Trump administration and passed by Maryland and 14 other states. The Republican purge of gun bills is an annual event, but comes during a year when all 140 seats in the General Assembly are up for election and moderate suburban voters who tend to favor gun control have been tilting towards Democrats. Republicans hold a two-vote majority in both the state Senate and House of Delegates. And while some vulnerable GOP lawmakers are moving left on issues such as raising the legal age for tobacco purchases and approving the federal Equal Rights Amendment, guns remain a hard-line topic for rural legislators who control the committees that decide which bills survive. More than a dozen gun-related bills died in a state Senate committee on Wednesday night and a similar slate fell in a House subcommittee on Thursday night. A ban on bump stocks, devices that boost a gun's firing rate, survived in the Senate, but was referred to another committee where it's likely to disappear. And a House bill requiring home daycare providers to keep guns locked up around children is being retooled by Republicans and could yet make it to the floor. The Northam administration has not given up on the red flag bill and may introduce a measure directly, though it would still have to go through committees. There are other ways, Secretary of Public Safety Brian Moran said Thursday night after the House subcommittee killed it on a party line vote. It's not over till it's over. Sponsored by Delegate Richard Rip Sullivan, House Bill 1763 would have allowed law enforcement officers to ask a judge to take guns away from a person who was deemed to pose a substantial risk of injury to himself or others. It has support from the Virginia Law Enforcement Sheriff's Organization, which represents 86 sheriff departments statewide that handle law enforcement for their communities. Such laws, known as extreme risk protection orders or red flag laws, have become popular in recent years as a tool to help prevent suicides and mass shootings. A school safety commission chartered by President Trump endorsed the laws last year as a temporary way to keep those who threaten society from possessing or purchasing firearms. Maryland legislature passed one last year, and it was signed into law by Republican Governor Larry Hogan. I had hoped that this bill would show itself as one that could break the partisan logjam we seem to be stuck in when it comes to gun safety bills, Sullivan said Thursday night as he presented the bill. But subcommittee number one of House Militia, Police, and Public Safety Committee 
is not a place where such hopes can bloom. Republicans there are proud to be the logjam on gun control bills. Our goal is never to infringe on someone's Second Amendment rights, subcommittee member Delegate Nick Friedis said on Friday. The problem with almost every single bill we saw last night was a lot of unintended consequences. One after another, the subcommittee called the bills up and shot them down. They included bills to let localities ban guns from libraries, adding Roanoke and Center Charlottesville to the list of places that can ban weapons with high-capacity magazines from public areas, allowing localities to regulate guns in public buildings, requiring owners to report the loss or theft of guns, update the existing ban on plastic guns to include those produced by 3D printers, require universal background checks, ban bump stocks, and restore Virginia's limit on purchasing no more than one handgun per month. In each case, Chairman Delegate Matt Ferris would allow the patrons to speak and then would ask the audience for a show of hands, for or against. He permitted some audience members to make remarks, but only after asking, is it something we haven't heard before? Then either Friedis or Michael Webert would move to PBI or pass by indefinitely, which would kill the bill. The subcommittee's four Republicans voted for, two Democrats against, next bill. Many delegates presented their bills with open resignation. Delegate Marcus Simon made a case for the committee to pass his bill on plastic guns, then added, though I don't have much hope that it will happen. There were two exceptions. One was a Republican bill to allow out-of-state residents to get a Virginia concealed handgun permit, which passed on party-line vote. And the other was the measure sponsored by Delegate Patrick Hope that required home daycare centers to keep guns locked up. Freitas told Hope that if the language could be tightened, so that antique firearms, for instance, would not be affected, it might get Republican support. The bill was set aside and talks were underway on Friday. This has got to stop. This is insane. Americans do not want this, and this is continuing to go on in our state. Bill after bill shot down on sensible gun safety laws. I have had it up to my ears. And that is why we have got to make it our mission to turn over this state legislature so the Republicans are no longer in charge. One vote picked out of a and the, hat. The, the deciding thing picked out of a damn hat is what has made the difference between all of these bills dying and So I'm begging Virginians to please join the cause to make this a mission to turn over this state legislature in November. Thank you. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week and tell all your left-leaning but not very active friends about us. This has been a Common Production.